Welcome to Life Center Church. We hope you enjoy this message. For more information about this podcast and our church, visit lifecenternyc.com. Privilege to uh, welcome uh, Chris Fountain. Come on up. Uh, we just want to come on. Come on, give honor where honors due. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. You know, the Lord had given me a scripture in the, in the first service, and I just want to read it again because more than anything, you know, Chris, you and, and the whole Bethel team, you carry something uh, that we desperately need in this city. And, uh, you know, Paul wrote when he was uh, coming to the Roman church, he said, <clears throat> For I long to see you that I might impart to you some spiritual gift so that you may be established, that it may, that is, that I may be encouraged together with you by the mutual faith, both of you and me. And more than anything you might share, it's the impartation that, that comes. And uh, we just want to open ourselves to receive it. And uh, Heavenly Father, I just pray for this man of God. I thank you that he's now a father in the faith and uh, leading a generation. Uh, Father, I thank you for his example. I ask your anointing upon him, even as he shares with us tonight. Strengthen him as this is his fourth service today. And uh, just carry him, Lord, and, and just we, we, we bless him in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. I have to tell you, like, um, this feels like Weaverville in here. That's a kind of a compliment and kind of not a compliment. Just to be clearly clear, I just text my wife. We were texting back and forth because I obviously haven't talked to her today. And I said, man, this place feels like Weaverville. And, and I, I heard Lou Ingalls connected, you know. So, no, we just got to. <laughs> you know, I can't do it. I'll lose my voice. But uh, Lou's a great friend. And I've been to lunch with him six times and he ate once. <laughs> He's always fasting. And then he came to my house, this is like probably, it's probably been 10 years ago now, but he came to my house with all of his kids. You know, he has like six, six kids, I think, seven kids, yeah. They all came over, and we have a confectionery kind of, used to be a bar when we bought the house, but it, we turned it into a confectionery. And my wife bought all these jars, so uh, be, you know, what used to be mirrors, we took that down and put shelves, and they're full of uh, jars that have candy in them, Right. Well, those jars up there haven't been eaten for like 10 years. Like, so it's just for looks. <laughs> but when Lou left, all the jars were empty. <laughs> Every, I'm like, there's like 20 jars. Like, there was nothing that even looked edible in my house. <laughs> that, I mean, I seriously think they would have ate the plants if, it, if they weren't, if they didn't figure out they were plastic, you know? <laughs> So it's so funny. I said, oh, now I see how he fasts. <laughs> when they eat, they eat. You know what I'm saying? So it was, um, I, but I, I so love Lou. And Mike Bickle is my good friend. I got to tell you this quick story. Went to see, so I got to see the Pope with 40, uh, you know, Pentecostal leaders, the charismatic Pentecostal leaders. And Bickle was with me. Well, with us, with all of us. I mean, we're all together. He wasn't with me. He was with all of us. And so... We, we see the Pope, and the Pope is the Pope, you know? 
you know, he's awesome. He's popish, you know. So anyway, so the Pope um, shares. By the way, the Pope, his first thing he said is, he was telling us a story. He has to, you know, through a translator. I, I'm sure that he speaks some English because, um, you know, when we were talking to him, he would laugh before the translator told him what he was saying. So I'm like, I think he speaks English, actually. But so anyway, so the Pope is telling us that he uh, went into his prayer closet, like this is like 10 years before this, and he was praying for something, and all of a sudden he heard himself speak in a different language. And he did it so many times, it scared him, so he didn't know what to do, so he called his Pentecostal friend. <laughs> and his Pentecostal friend says, well, you got baptized in the Holy Spirit, and he didn't even know what baptized in the Holy Spirit was. So he's telling the story. Anyway, it was really funny. He's, the Pope was really funny, and of course, people were mad because we went to see the Pope. And like, I, I didn't get any doctrinal update from him or anything like that. But, <laughs> but anyway, so then uh, the Pope has a question answer, answer time. He's like, would any of you guys like to ask questions? Because we still have like an hour and a half. And so everybody's asking him really simple, you know, neutral questions. Like, you know, like, what's your favorite food? You know, that, just like, <laughs> like you would ask your friend, you know. Well, Bickle's got his hand up the whole time. <laughs> And wisely, the Pope doesn't call on him. <laughs> so an hour and a half goes by, and I'm sitting next to him, and Bickle is like, he's got the energy of an of a Irish setter. Like, he can't sit still, and his wife is sitting next to him, and she's like, Mike, stop. So I'm laughing. I just can't, I can't stop laughing. And so finally, uh, the, the, the question and answer time's over, and they're, they're moving the Pope's going to go greet everybody. And Mike goes, hey, I got a question. I've had my hand up. I'm like, oh, Lord Jesus, please help us all. And he asks the Pope if he's a universalist. <laughs> this is the only theological question, right? It's got to be Mike. And, and the Pope's like, tells him this whole thing. There's only one way to Jesus. And, you know, he can't, there's no other way. And, you know, he believes in hell. And he believes in the, the resurrection power of Jesus. And he gives us great. And Mike's like, thank you. <laughs> so then we go out to eat and I'm sitting next to Mike and I keep going I got a question the whole time I got a question and then everyone wore really nice suits and Mike I don't think Mike has a nice suit but he he brought a silk shirt but it was all ripped on the arms <laughs> so when I got home I sent him a silk shirt I said next time we go to see the Pope please wear this shirt oh I couldn't stop laughing we had the most fun ever I think we drove the Pope crazy. But anyway, it was fun. Uh, why don't we pray? It's come to that. <laughs> you can grab a hand, and this you know how this works with me. If you want to date the person next to you, just squeeze their hand. Hey, several marriages. My, my team will testify. We have several marriages this way. That's right. And Lord, we just, yeah, you just squeeze their hand if you want to date them, and just squeeze back if you... Some of the married couples haven't had a date in so long. It's like... <laughs> exciting <laughs> it's like some of them like we need to go early <laughs> anyway that's a that's a married joke um okay you can let go of hands now i want to pray holy spirit thank you so much for for me <laughs> and for and for them and we pray your blessing on the night father in jesus name we just thank you for what you're doing here Thank you for what you're doing here in Jesus' name. Thank you, Lord. Amen. Well, there's quite a few of you in here.
Um, I, I want to talk about um, developing spiritual intelligence. And I, I wrote a book called Spiritual Intelligence. You should read it. It's like the best book I've ever read on spiritual intelligence. And I, I wrote it. <laughs> I'm writing a book on humility, too, how I became humble. <laughs> how you could, too. <laughs> Couldn't find anybody qualified to write the forward, so I'm writing that, too. For the... <laughs> Sorry, I don't know if my humor works in New York. Um, why don't you turn to Romans 12. Um, we'll start from Romans 12, too. You got a post right there. We had those in Weirville, too. So I can always tell who the visitors are because they always sit right there. <laughs> and they think they got good seats. Anyway, uh, I can move around so you can see me over here. Hi, guys. How are you doing? Yeah. I can't see there. Anyway, you're just happy to have a building in New York, right? Uh, seriously, like it's crazy here. Wow. Okay, Romans 12, 2. <laughs> Keep waiting for something to come, but it's not, they're not coming. Um, I'm sure you know these verses. Let me just, let's just um, start here. Romans 12, 2. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Um, obviously, that word transform is the word metamorphosis. It's actually the same exact word when Jesus went up on the Mount of Transfiguration. It's the identical word, transfiguration. And, you know, we um, always say that you can't change your life, but if you change your mind, God will change your life. And I wanted to talk just a little bit about the transforming of the mind. I actually want to talk about spiritual intelligence, but uh, on the way there, I, I, I want to just say that um, a lot of people speak about the transformed mind and I, I don't know about you, but I always wonder, like, how do I tell if I have a transformed mind? You know, I mean, I read the verses, but how do I actually know if I have a transformed mind? And so I, I want to talk about seven symptoms of a transformed mind. Uh, these wouldn't be the only ones. There's probably hundreds of them. That I just These are the ones that came to me when I, uh, when I was writing a book. Uh, like, okay, what, what does it look like to have a transformed mind? And, and let, me make, let me say this. When I have a transformed mind, I think like God. Are you with me? I think like Jesus, like WWJD, what would Jesus do? And so here's seven symptoms of a transformed mind. Um, the first one is that you live in hope. How do I know if I have a transformed mind? You live in hope. And here's a great Bill quote. Any thought that doesn't inspire hope in, is rooted in a lie. Any thought in you that's, that doesn't inspire hope is rooted in a lie. I, I love that verse. Uh, I love the, the, the ins, inspired by hope. I I, I love that um, we live in hope because it feels to me like the world and even the church has a foreboding spirit. You know what a foreboding spirit is? It means an impending sense of doom. Like, I think most of the world, and sadly, lots of the church, lives with an impending sense of doom. You know, my father drowned when I was three years old. I've told that story in so many books, and most people, if you follow me, have heard at least a piece of my story. My father drowned when I was three, and um, I didn't realize it, but when, I, I, when um, Bill first came to Bethel, he had me come on Saturdays and do a prophetic class, because uh, we were doing, you know, the prophetic, we had prophetic teams and all of that in Weaverville, and so he said, would you come on Saturday and just do like a two-hour prophetic class, and let's just start building a prophetic team, and this is way before I knew I was going to go to work there. And, um, and so the, uh, we did that for probably three or four months. 
And we would put, you know, a one victim in the, in the center, and, like, we practice on the victim, right? <laughs> well, anyway, so, I, you know, I, I decided, well, I'd be the first victim. So I taught for, you know, um, uh, like, two or three sessions over a period of a month, and then I'm like, all right, so you guys practice on me. And uh, uh, do you guys know who Donna De Silva is? She leaves our Sozo ministry. So this is like, I was, she was in my first class. And so she, I get in the middle and she said, I see a foreboding spirit over you, which is totally not what we're supposed to be doing, of course. <laughs> and I, I didn't know what the word foreboding meant. I said, what's that mean? She said, an impending sense of doom, it always feels like something's about to go wrong. And so I'm like, okay, this is way off of where we're heading, you know? But I'm like, all right, well, it's me. Just, you know, get rid of it, you know? So she, she likes to snap her fingers, if you know Donna. So we all, always tease her. Whenever I greet her, I'm like, <laughs> somehow this is like how to get rid of demons. I don't know where it's at. <laughs> anyway, she snapped her fingers over me and prayed for me. And, I, you know, anyway, day went on. I didn't feel anything leave. And there's an hour drive home from Reading to Weaverville, our little town there. So on the way home, Kathy's with me through the whole thing. And about halfway home, I have this, um, it's hard to explain with words, but I'll try. I have this uh, revelation, and and the revelation is, it's gone. And I I turned to Kathy, and I said, you know that thing Donna was doing over me? She's like, yeah. I said, that thing's gone. She's like, "What, what do you mean it's gone? I said, I never realized it, but I always have in the way back in my mind, that something's about to go wrong. And actually, the Lord even showed me it came in when my father drowned because I didn't know what dead meant at three years old. I just knew he left. And I always had the sense someone's going to leave me. My kids are not going to come home. And it, like, it, um, it, it didn't plague me like a panic attack. It was like below the surface, but it was always, it was like in the way I thought more than in what I was thinking. And when she did that, it left. And I realized that it was a familiar spirit. You know what a familiar spirit is? Familiar spirit is a spirit that gets so attached to your personality that you don't know it isn't you. It's like, you know, that, that, uh, that saying we have is like, I never knew the man was drunk until I saw him sober. That was me. I never knew that thing was in my thinking until it actually left my thinking. And so um, I think it's really... Oh, sorry. I was trying to impress you, but I looked around and I'm like... <laughs> I way dress better than anybody in this room. <laughs> but then I got a stain right there when we ate tonight. It's like no spot or wrinkle. So I, I already got exited anyway. So you live in hope. Like, how do I know I have a transfer mind? Actually live in hope. Like, get your hopes up. It's actually the way of the kingdom. That, that you know, uh, Romans eight twenty eight. you know, all things work together for good. Those who love God call according to his purpose. So how many understand that all things work together for good in the end. So if it's not good, it ain't the end. It could be the middle of the book, but it's not the end. So I think that we should, anyway, that's a good word. We don't need to go on. <laughs> Number two, how do I know if I, if I have a transformed mind? The impossible seems reasonable. The impossible seems reasonable. When you're, you know, you're in a, a terrible situation, someone's been diagnosed with four-stage cancer, they sent her home or sent him home to, to die, and, you, and when you go to minister to them, for some reason, it seems totally logical that they're going to get healed. Yeah. Like, like I, I mean, I, we've all been through those times where like, oh God, I hope this works, you know? We've all been through those times. We've all prayed for enough people that, 
you go in there going, if this person gets healed, it will be a miracle. Not, none of us have faith here. But there's these other times when you just have faith and like somebody's in a possible situation and you just, know, you, like you're going to be surprised if they don't get well or if that money didn't come in or that prophecy didn't come true or whatever, you, you know? It's that thing that you know your mind's renewed when the impossible seems reasonable. Number three, you know that you have a renewed mind when you live in peace and you don't worry. And your speculations are positive. You know your speculations? Like your daughter's uh, an hour late coming home from school. And instead of thinking like, oh, she might have got abducted by aliens. <laughs> right? Have you ever had your mind on fear? Like it's like a bad drug, right? You start having the craziest thoughts. And after it's all over, you're like, you feel embarrassed by the things you were thinking. But instead of the speculations being negative, you're like, oh, I bet the principal pulled her aside and gave her the student of the year award. <laughs> Which goes back to the impossible seems reasonable. <laughs> Number four, how do I know if I have a transformed mind? You like yourself. You like yourself and you rejoice in your weakness knowing that when and where you're weak, he's strong. Um, I'd like to um, just say something about that because we, I don't know if you guys use these tests here, but you know, we have strength finders tests and disc tests and Enneagram, I can't even say it, Enneagram, it even sounds like a cult. <laughs> Sorry, it was a joke, it's probably great. We have all these personality tests to tell you where your strengths are. And, and, and we use them on our teams and our teams love them and they're always like, you're an eight. Is that the highest number? Because I want to be the highest number. Whatever the highest number is, that's what I want to be. And, um, you know, and, but here's the deal. Here's the challenge with that. Is that God, that you are not just your strengths. I'm saying you could take all of your strengths that you have, personality, skill, you know, all, all of them, spiritual, natural, and put them all together, and it does not equal who you are. Because you're also your divinely placed weaknesses. Wow. Now, when I'm talking about weakness, I'm not talking about character weakness, like I sin because, you know, God created me this, this way. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about that God has actually etched in you places that you're not good at. And the reason he does that is so he can use you where you suck. <laughs> the Bible says that, but it's in the message. Amplified Bible. Because I don't know if you have you ever went to God and you got you're like, God, here's all the things I'm really good at. And he's like, That's awesome. I took the strength finders test. Here's my five strengths. The Lord's like, Great, we won't be using you there. And you're like, Do you have a scripture for that? I actually do. You know the apostle Paul was an expert in Jewish law, trained by the most famous professor of his day. And when he got saved, the Lord made him the apostle of the Gentiles. The people he actually hated his whole life. Can you imagine? You're like the head of the KKK. And you get saved, you know, and God makes you, like, God actually makes you the leader of a black church. Like, this is in the 50s, just to give you the, the weight of it. Like, literally, he is leading the people he hated his whole life. And then he makes Peter, who's probably illiterate. You go, well, he wrote First and Second Peter. He probably did that through a scribe because fishermen likely did not read. There was no reason. There's no books to read. There's no 
nothing to read. So uh, Peter likely couldn't read, and God puts him over the Jews. And what I'm getting at is that why did God put an expert in Jewish law over the Gentiles? So that Paul would com- completely depend on God. Are you with me? So Peter would have to completely depend on God. Um, a few years ago, it's kind of a funny story. I, um, I, I, wrote, uh, I wrote this book called um, Destined... No, I wrote that book too. Um, it's a book on empowering women. Fashion Rain. Sorry, thank you. I wrote the book, but I can't remember the title. That's been the problem. <laughs> Would have been a big seller if I could remember the title. You should get the book I wrote and can't remember. Anyway, I went to this university that uses uh, several things, uh, most of my prophetic books, and the, uh, the chandler of the university said, I'd like to give you an earned uh, uh, doctorate. I'm like, wow, that's awesome. And so we had this conversation, and he said, you know, you'd have to write a dissertation. I actually didn't know what a dissertation is. That sounded like a diet plan. <laughs> so I Googled it while he's talking to me, and I'm like, oh, yeah, oh, that's what that is. Okay, because I, I really have no education whatsoever. Well, I did go to what's the matter you, that Italian college. <laughs> what's the matter you? You know, anyway, you didn't get that. But anyway, so, so he said, oh, you know, you need to write a dissertation. I said, hey, I just finished uh, writing a book on empowering women. And, you know, and, and he, I said, I haven't even published it yet. He said, well, we, that could be your dissertation. Anyway, short story. We worked it all out. He, I was going to, this was like January. He said, I'll graduate you in June. And, but I had to do these things, just paperwork stuff, and then also put the manuscript in a different format. So I had my, my PA, Beth, helping me. I was probably three months into it. And then uh, one night, I went to bed, and I, I, the Lord said to me, I heard you're getting your doctorate. <laughs> Have you heard this story? And, uh, and I said, uh-huh. He said, you didn't ask me about that. I said, can I get a doctorate? He said, no. He said, you know, we, he said, if you have letters after your name, people think you can do this, and we both know you can't. And he said, you're a sign of what I can do with, pe- with weakness, not with strength. Have the three of you talked about this? <laughs> okay, anyway, that was the final answer. You know, we spend a lot of time trying to cover up our weakness. Spend an hour in the mirror every morning trying to get ready for people who don't care what we look like. Anyway, that was the free part. <laughs> Number five. Oh, puberty. <clears throat> How do you know if you have a transformed mind, you're quick to forgive? And you freely give others grace and mercy. Wow, the opposite of our culture right now, right? You're quick to forgive. Number six. How do you know if you have a transformed mind? You're confident and thankful. I was uh, teaching, this is a few years ago, in school ministry, second year, and we, I teach the whole year on leadership. And I was making a statement that isn't 100% true all the time. But I said to them, when you are a leader, you don't have the privilege of not being confident when you're in front of your people. And a young man raised his hand. He was probably 20 we had a Q&A time after that, and he said, how, he said, I've lived my early years as a very arrogant young man. And he said, how do I tell if when I'm confident or if I'm arrogant? And immediately, I, the Holy Spirit said to me, gratitude, thankfulness. And I said to him, um, the answer is gratitude. 
that if you're th- if you are confident and thankful, how many of you know you can't be thankful and be arrogant at the same time? Because gratitude means that you owe somebody something. And so I think that we should cultivate uh, thankfulness. I, I don't know about you, but um, in the COVID season, um, I, I really I struggled the first few months with COVID. Uh, I mean, I had COVID, but I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about all the stress around COVID. And there was so much negativity, like, you know, who's going to die and how long is this going to last? And is our church ever going to recover? And, you know, and what's going to happen to our finances? Because we have you know, 700 people on staff. We're trying to keep them all because most of them have families. You know, all the stress of leading, leading plus add COVID, then plus add social justice issues, plus, plus all the crazy stuff. And so, you know, I, I was just in this midst of every morning waking up with a high level of anxiety. And so I asked the Lord what to do. And he said, I want you to make a thankful list. And so, and he said, I want you to think of three things that you're thankful for every day. And uh, you know what's interesting? When you're in fear, you can't even think of something you're thankful for. So what I noticed is that um, it would take me 15 minutes to think of one thing I was thankful for. But once I thought of one, then two and three came easy. Because it shifted the way that I thought. And then after, you know, after about two weeks of doing that every morning, pretty soon you have a list of like, you know, 30 things you're thankful for. And then you're having to think about new things you're thankful for. Because all the most current things you already got. And I, and I found that every morning, you know, before I go to work, I'm, I'm laying in bed and I'm thinking, all right, I, yeah, I already said that one. Yeah, I said that one too. Oh, yeah, I said that one. And pretty soon, I'm digging for things I'm thankful for, but what's really happening is it's changing the way I think. And, um, and then after a while, you know, as it lifted, I would just go back, and now, now I have like, I don't know, 90 or 100 of them, but I just go back, and I, instead of thinking of them, I just go back and reread all the things I'm thankful for. I really want to encourage you that if you're going through a really difficult time, one of the best things you can do is just, you know, find testimonies, prophecies, history, things that have happened in your life, and just, just start writing a thankful list because it will, it will, it will change. The, it, you have to think from a different part of your mind yeah. to find a place of thankfulness. And number seven, um, how do I know if I have a transformed mind? You believe in others, and you give them the benefit of the doubt. I'd like to point out that Jesus believed in people before they deserved it. And um, he, you know, he made Judas the treasure when he knew he was a thief. Why did he do that? Because he believed in people before they deserved it. And the culture that he created caused 11 men to be world changers and one man hung himself. And here's the challenge. If you change the culture so you don't have a Judas, you won't have Peters. A lot of people, a lot of leaders brag about they've never had, a, they've never had any of their leaders fail. And I'm like, you don't have big leaders. You don't have an empowering culture. You have a delegating culture, but not an empowering culture. You know, there's a big difference between delegation and empowerment. Delegation is you do my stuff. Empowerment is why empower you to do what's in your heart. And if you don't have a Judas now and then, you, you, you don't have a culture of empowerment. People are shocked when leaders fall, and they're like, oh, he didn't do a good job. I'm like, maybe. Or maybe he did a great job, and he ended up with a Judas because he's so empowering. Okay, anyway, that's just a thought. At least I'm having one, you know what I'm saying? 
I want to talk for a couple minutes about what's actually happening when you renew your mind. Like, like neurologically, what is happening? And um, years ago, I had a nervous breakdown. I actually had two of them. You know, I, I'm really getting good at it now. <laughs> First one lasted three years. Last one only lasted six months. So next one's just going to be like a week or so. <laughs> there won't be a next one, thankful. Thank you, Jesus. Um, but I, I uh, was on the couch for six months and couldn't get off the couch. And I, was, I had a depression the first time in my life I've ever been depressed. And uh, I went to a couple of different counselors and I, I, God bless them. I was very, very thankful that they prayed for me and talked to me. It was good to have someone to talk to, but they didn't actually help me. And so I started reading books because I, I, I thought I'm going to be on this couch forever. And um, I read a book by Carolyn Leaf. Do you guys know who Carolyn Leaf is? And uh, it, I, at the time, the book was called Who Switched Off My Brain? I think she retitled it Who Switched On My Brain? But um, I learned about the neurology of, of your mind, like how does your mind actually work? And, and that led me to, and obviously the book takes you like, this is how your mind works, so therefore this is how you can change the way you think. You can change your anxiety and so on and so forth. So um, anyway, but she, I think it was her, I read two or three books at that time, but I think it's her who used this analogy. She said, you can, um, you can imagine, he, she said that your thoughts travel on what's called neural pathways. They're like neural highways. And she said, you can picture them by, taking, by thinking of taking a block of cheese and dropping a hot marble through there. Like, these are like pathways that, through your brain that your brain actually thinks on these things called highways. And, and the way it works is, is that think about, think about your brain for just a second as a jungle, <laughs> like a, a deep uh, wooded jungle. And the first time you have a thought, let's say you have a, a bad thought, like a foreboding spirit, and you think something's about to go wrong, you hack away through that jungle. And the next time you have that same thought, you're hacking a larger trail. And if you have that thought over and over, day after day, pretty soon you have an eight-lane freeway to something's about to go wrong. Now, Donald Miller, the guy who wrote Blue Like Jazz, he made this statement. He said, your brain, uh, he said, we are... Sorry, he said, your brain is wired to use the least amount of energy possible to come to a conclusion. So your brain doesn't want, your, your brain doesn't want thoughts to travel through the jungle because it's trying to use the least amount of energy possible to come to a conclusion. So when I think, every time I think a thought, I'm traveling on a neural pathway. Every time I travel on that neural pathway, that neural pathway gets wider. Every time it gets wider, it's it, it's easier to think the same thought. Every time it's easier to think the same thought, then the pathway gets wider. And you get the idea, it's what we call what? An ecosystem, right? We have an ecosystem. And pretty soon, an ecosystem becomes a mindset. A mindset is when I naturally think wrong or I naturally think right, right? So it's, if I'm always worried, how many understand? It, the actual uh, neurobiological reason why I'm always worried is because I have an eight-lane freeway to something's about to go wrong, and I have no walking trail to something's about to go right. Are you with me? Yeah. So what's actually happening when I renew my mind, and how do I actually build new neural pathways so that I can have a different mindset? Like we say, oh, that person's a pessimist. That person's an optimist. We're actually talking about something that you can actually see on a brain scan. Like there are actually neural pathways to negative thoughts or positive thoughts. Yeah. 
how do I change that? Well, um, you, you probably know this verse, but in Joshua chapter 1, uh, I'll just read verse 8. God says to Joshua, this book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate. Can you say meditate? Meditate, meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do according to all that's written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous and then you will have success. By the way, the, in, in the context, God tells him three times, I will make you successful. And then the last time he says, you will make you successful. So I understand that success from, uh, absent from God is, is humanism. But here God says, I will, you will make your way successful. And how? You're going to meditate. Now, when I think of meditate, I think of, you know, I think of a little fat guy in my garden <laughs> with his shirt off, you know, humming to himself and trying to empty his mind. But that has nothing to do with meditation in the Bible. The word meditate here is the same exact word for growl. In fact, it's actually used in Isaiah 31.4 when it says, as a lion or a young lion growls over its prey, the word growl is the word meditate. In other words, it's, it's not a passive word, it's an aggressive word. Like lions growl over their prey. You know, they growl when they're, they're protecting their prey. That's the word meditate. In other words, how do I make new neural pathways? Well, when my, let's use my daughter's late coming home from school. And, my, and I have a foreboding spirit. You know, I have a, a mindset like something's always about to go wrong. But I'm like, I'm going to renew my mind. What do I do? My mind says something happened to her. She might have got kidnapped. Some, all these crazy thoughts come on. I go, I'm not, I'm not driving down that highway. And I take an exit that isn't even built yet. And I start hacking my way through the, my jungle that says all things work together for good. I forcefully say to myself, what is the latest prophetic word that happened over Jane, my daughter? And I repeat that word. I meditate on that word. And what, did the, what were the prophecies that came to her at her birth? What are the things God has said to her? What is her history? What is her testimony? And I, by force, like a, like a lion growls or like a bulldozer moves dirt, I begin to build new neural pathways. Like my mind is still going, no, this is probably more true. But I go, no, this is what the Bible says. This is what the word of God says. This is what the Holy Spirit says to me. And when I do that, how many understand? If I will do that for 40 days, what's happening while I'm taking this path, remember on purpose, is that I'm not taking that path. And what happens when I'm not taking that path, it's a great analogy, is it begins to grow over with foliage. So that when I have a bad day and I try to take that path, I have an eight-lane freeway to something good's about to happen. And now I don't even have a pathway to where it used to go. Listen, if you'll do that for 40 days, you will begin to think like God thinks. If you will renew your mind by taking what God said and forcefully telling your mind. Listen, I, I had this crazy analogy. This is five years ago. There was a girl on our street. She was a little Asian girl. She probably weighed 90 pounds. And she had two, I think they're called Mastiff dog, Mastiffs. And they weigh like, my, I weigh 125-pound German Shepherd, but they're like a third bigger. Huge dogs. And she, was, she would take them for a walk, take them for a walk every morning. And it was kind of funny because she's, these two dogs are dragging this 90-pound girl you know, down through, through, through our street. And they're like peeing on the trees and pooping on lawns. And she's, you know, she's like every morning frantic. It was just like, it was funny to watch. 
And one day I'm watching that and the Lord says, that's your mind. Your mind's telling you what to do. It's not potty trained. It's peeing on trees. It's pooping on people's lawns. It's doing things you don't want it to do. It is leading you. You are not leading it. And the Lord said to me, why don't you take charge of your mind and stop letting your mind tell you what you're, you're supposed to think? Why don't you start telling your mind what you're going to think about? And I woke up the next morning and I said to my, you know, I'm like, oh, you know, sometimes you, you got something going on and you're like, oh, this thing, I'm going to have this thing. And the Lord's like, are you going to tell your mind what to think about that or is your mind going to give you information? Are you going to ask for the right information? You're Googling the wrong information. And I think a lot of people, they're like those Mastiff dogs. <laughs> they feel powerless like that poor young lady. They feel powerless. Life is just dragging them through the neighborhood, doing all the stuff they don't want to do. They feel totally, I'm, I, I, I'm addicted to porn. I'm addicted to, se- I have sexual addictions. I have same-sex attraction, and, and I, no one can help me. I'm just, I'm just a victim. I'm like, you're not a victim. You're a victor. You died, and your life is hidden in Christ. You have power over this. It doesn't feel true. I didn't say it felt true. I said it is true. And I began to take control of the dogs of my life. And I began to say, I put a shot collar on those babies. You may be bigger than me, but watch this. I said, stay on the sidewalk. I have a German shepherd. He hates our, he hates our horses. They, they do not get along. But it's, he's a completely different animal. When we put a shot collar on him, you don't even have to push the button. That's how smart he is. He knows now when he has it on, he's got to behave. It makes me mad because I'm like, you know how to behave. Because if I put that collar on, I don't have to even charge the collar. He's like, yeah, I don't like to get shocked. I'll do what I know I'm supposed to be doing, you know? (laughs) Tick me off, you stupid dog. (laughs) Speaking of thinking, I want to say that as we're talking about renewing of mind, there's a difference between my high values and my core values. My high value is what I like to believe. For example, if I won't have you do it because it will embarrass you. How many believe God always provides for you? And I guarantee you, two-thirds of the people, three-quarters will raise their hand. How many of you worry about money? Same people raise their hand. <laughs> your high value is that you believe God will always provide for you. But your core value is not what you want to believe. It's the way you actually see. It's your core value because it's the way you see the world. What you actually see is God doesn't actually provide for me all the time. Because, see, I can't say God always provides for me and worry. That's incongruent. And here's the challenge. Oftentimes, we go to counseling because we can't figure out what's wrong with us because we repeat our high values and believe they're our core values. I can remember many times when I used to do counseling, somebody walks in and sits down, and when you do a lot of counseling, usually in the first 10 minutes, you can pretty much figure out what the big, bigger problem is. And I can remember saying to people, you know, here's the problem. You don't love yourself. Oh, God so loved the world. He gave his only begotten son. <laughs> He's tattooed my name on the core, uh, on, uh, on palms of his hands. And they, they quote 15 scriptures about God loving them and absolutely don't love themselves. I'm like, looks like a duck, quacks like a duck. It's a freaking duck. <laughs> and I have to teach them, first of all, I have to teach them that they actually don't believe that God loves them because you have all the symptoms that you don't feel loved by God, that you don't feel accepted. 
You behave like you don't feel accepted. You treat other people like you don't feel accepted. You, you shop like you don't feel accepted. And what I'm getting at is that we have to make sure that what we say we believe, we actually believe. We have to see the world through our values and not just have them on our wall plaques. <laughs> Good point, Chris. See how it gets quiet? That's called conviction or a really boring point. There's also a, a principle called the principle of first mention. And uh, this is the beauty of creation. God has created you to actually... To, uh, to actually um, let me say it this way. The way we're created is that the first time you hear about a subject, it becomes not just, it not just truth to you, but it becomes the lens in which you view that subject. So the second time you hear about the same subject, you view the second time by the first time. You view the third time by the first time, the fourth time by the first time, so that you use... You're actually training a part of your, your brain called the thalamus. It's, it's the filter of your brain. And when you're young, you are training the thalamus what things to filter out and what things to believe. Because you receive hundreds of thousands of st stimuli every, every day. Your brain could no way process all that. So what happens is, is your thalamus is the filter that says, that's not true, that's true. That's why you can watch a, a movie that's, you know, maybe gladiator, and you don't get stressed out like you watch the Iran, I mean, the Ukraine-Russia crisis because your brain goes, entertainment, not true, news, true, or maybe not so true. <laughs> what I'm getting at is that you learn that usually from the ages of one to three. Your early years are really important because you're actually building the filter of reality. Are you with me? So, for example, if you teach, if you don't teach your children about sex, and at nine years old, someone exposes them to pornography like their friend, and then at 12, you're like, hey, let's have the talk. What's, happen, what's going to happen is, is that your son or daughter is going to measure truth by what they learn from Johnny. And I'm not saying they can't reject what they learned from Johnny, but now they have to rebuild their thalamus, their filter, because Johnny taught them that this is true, and you're teaching them that this is true. And what I'm getting at is that, but if you teach, if you teach your son or your daughter about sexuality, at age appropriately, four, five, six, seven, eight years old, and you, you teach them healthy sexuality, and then they meet Johnny at nine, he goes, that's in, the, that's in the entertainment category. That's not true. They will naturally want to reject it because you laid a foundation and built a filter in their thalamus that says, not true. Because they heard truth first. Are you with me? I believe, this is just me, I believe that God created our children to have the foundations of truth laid in their lives early on so that they could be trusted to be, for instance, in the public school system because they've already built truth in. <laughs> I could go on and on, but I feel like the, 
the, the sexual immorality in our country that's rampant, and actually it's all over the world, is largely the unpaid bills of Christian parents who have not taught their kids at home and let the public school system for the last 70 years teach their kids about stuff you should have and I should have been teaching them about. And what happens is we complain about them, but we never teach them in school. We, we talk about homosexuality and perversion and all kinds of stuff like that in church, and we're always reacting to what culture says, but we never teach healthy sexuality. Okay. I'm just trying to say, you know, and we're, we're all, I'm pointing out that we're late to the game. And we're, all, we're always mad because somebody's teaching perversion. I'm like, who's teaching the right version? I mean, how many messages have you heard about sexuality in church unless it's being mad at someone who's said it wrong? How are we doing? 15 minutes. Okay, now I want to switch gears just a little bit. In, in Ephesians 4.22, Paul said, Be renewed in the spirit of your mind. Say this, be renewed, be renewed. In, the in the spirit of your mind. So we've been talking about the renewed mind. And when we have a renewed mind, we think like God. I want you to say that. When I have a renewed mind, I, renewed I, think, mind. I, think, I think like God. Okay, hold on to that thought because it's going to make a difference in a few minutes. So Paul said, be renewed in the spirit of your mind. I'd like to propose that Christians think tridimensionally. And that non-Christians, non-born again people, they think dual dimensionally. So you think IQ, you think from the biological part of your brain. How do you know that? Well, you can take a drug like LSD. And all, just taking that drug will change the way you think. So we know the biology of the brain matters. Yes, Chris, good point. And we know that you can have like PTSD, being in a, in a war or uh, having some, some terrible thing happen to you, and you can actually think from the heart. You actually think from the heart because now it's changed the way you think and it has nothing to do with your biology, right? So we know that you think IQ and EQ. And by the way, um, if you haven't uh, read a book on emotional intelligence, you should read one. They're absolutely amazing. I, I've read a couple of them. Just go into Amazon and look at the highest rated ones. I've read two or three of them. Um, most of them are secular, but they're really actually good. And one of the things we've learned about leadership is the, highest, uh, the greatest leaders, most of the greatest leaders in the world, don't have the highest IQ. Most of them have very high EQ. They're emotionally very intelligent. Like What it takes to actually lead people, more often than not, is the ability to capture their heart, not their head. But there is something I've never heard anyone talk about until a few years ago, and that's SQ, spiritual intelligence. And Paul actually said, be renewed in the spirit of your mind. In other words, if he said, I want you to be renewed in the spirit of your mind, there must be other elements of your mind, even in Paul's thinking. Does that make sense? Am I boring you? Okay. So would you turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 2? And I want to show you in the next 15 minutes or so, that you have a tremendous advantage over everyone who doesn't know God, including Elon Musk. I love Elon Musk. I already have a position for him opened up on our staff. When he gets saved, immediately I'm going to be the first to hire him, and we're going to create our own rocket for Pluto. 
<laughs> yeah, very. The impossible seems reasonable. Okay, look at First Corinthians chapter two, and we're just going to pick up in the middle of a conversation. Verse six, Paul's talking about wisdom, and he says, "We do speak wisdom among those who are mature. A wisdom, however, not of this age. Everybody say, not of this age, not of this age. nor of the rulers of the age who are passing away." But we speak God's wisdom in a mystery. Everybody say mystery. mystery. The hidden wisdom. Everybody say hidden wisdom. Hidden. Which God predestined before the ages to our glory. Like that doesn't mess you up. You're not thinking. Look at the next verse. The wisdom, verse 8, which none of the rulers of this age has understood. For if they had understood it, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. But just as it is written now... Could you please look down at your Bibles, even if you're using an electronic Bible? Verse 9 should be either italicized, highlighted, or capitalized. Did you notice that the text is different? Okay, this is a little lesson. Did you notice the text is different? Yes, Chris, we noticed that. Okay, let's try this together. Look up at me. This means yes. This means no. This means I'm in a trance. Okay, so I'm helping you learn what I need from you because I'm giving and I need to receive. <laughs> Don't need your money, but I need your... Yes, Chris. Okay. Let's try this. Yes, Chris. Yes. Very good. Very good. Okay. Look at verse 9. Is, does it have a different kind of print in verse 9 than in verse 8 and 10? Yes. yes. Thank you. Very good. I'm saying, wow. Good class. That's very good. Now I feel like I'm in school ministry. Okay, the reason why the text is different, however it's highlighted in your Bible, is because it's, whenever a New Testament is quoting the Old Testament, it changes the text. So this is highlighted, or in my Bible, it's all capitalized, because the Apostle Paul is quoting Isaiah in the Old Covenant. All right, And Isaiah says, Things which eye has not seen, which ear has not heard, which has not entered the heart of man, all that God has prepared for those he loves. Okay, basically, Isaiah said, who knows what God's thinking? We don't know. We just know that it's in our favor. And Paul is answering Isaiah. And he says, for to us, God has revealed them through his spirit, capital S spirit. For the spirit, capital S, searches all things. Why does he say things? Because Isaiah said, the things which I has not seen. Okay, even the depths of God. For who among men knows the thoughts of a man except for the spirit of the man which is in him? People ask all the time, does the devil know my thoughts? He doesn't unless he gave them to you. Because this verse says, you're the only one who knows your thoughts except for thoughts that were given to you by God. Or the devil, actually, right? Okay, so um, who among men? Okay, verse, uh, same verse, 11. Even so, the thoughts of God no one knows. You're like, no one knows. Except for the spirit of God. Capital S. Now we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who's from God, so that we may know the things freely given to us by God. Are you with me? Now let's go down to verse 16. Again, it should be italicized or highlighted or capitalized. For who has known the mind of the Lord that he may instruct him? Paul answers, we have the mind of Christ. Isaiah says, who knows what God's thinking? Paul goes, we do. He's contrasting the Old Testament people who were not born again 
with the people who are born again, receive the mind of Christ, are a new creation, who are a prototype in God, who actually know what God's thinking. Okay, follow me now. Here's where I'm going. The difference between having your mind renewed, right, Romans 12, don't be conformed, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And having the mind of Christ is when, let's, let, me, let me illustrate. Let's say Herbie is your neighbor, and he hates you. He throws his crap over your fence. He flips you off every morning. He calls you terrible things. And you're like, okay, when my mind's renewed, I think like Jesus. So I think, what would Jesus do? Right? What would Jesus do? And I'm like, okay, well, Jesus said, love people who hate you. Bless people who curse you. Do good to those who do evil to you. And you get the idea. So I bless him. I, I, I wave to him. I send him cookies that, that are edible. <laughs> I pick up his garbage that's outside. I am blessing the man who hates me. That's thinking like Jesus. This is not thinking like Jesus. This is thinking Jesus' thoughts. Same illustration. Herbie hates me. Throws his crap over the fence flips me off, calls me terrible things. I say, Holy Spirit, what does God think about this? Remember, I have access to God's thoughts. And Holy Spirit says, his father was a pastor, molested the kids, lived like hell at home, and like an angel in the podium. Herbie hates his father. And when he sees you, he doesn't see you. He sees his father. How many of you know, I'm not thinking like Jesus. I'm thinking his thoughts. I have access to the mind of the Lord. Are you with me? Now I can build a strategy, which I call a sporadity, a spirit-led strategy to help Herbie because I actually know what's wrong. Are you with me? So think of this. Think of this, this iPhone, which is actually the only phone there really is. I just want to say it's made by Apple. Think of Garden of Eden. <laughs> Tree of Life. <laughs> or not. Yeah. yeah, I, me, myself, and I. I know. <laughs> there is no I in team, but there is a me. <laughs> I, I have a lot of things on here. I, I don't know, this has a, a lot of memory. I have videos on here. I have uh, uh, I have all kinds of recordings on here, and I, I can I and I can I can have a lot of things on this on this hard drive. But have you ever like thought you had a movie on here and you start watching it and you get on a plane and then you realize like oh, it was on the cloud, <laughs> like it's not on your phone. And what I'm getting at is that there is a limit to what I can put on here. But if I hit this little button that says Safari, as soon as I hit Safari. I have access to the internet. And I can tap, type in the word like leadership, and I, I can get like probably a billion different articles and thoughts around leadership. Right? It's not on the phone, it's on the internet. And Safari gives me access to the internet. Are you with me? Okay, now think about it. The, you, you have the Holy Spirit in you, and you have your spirit, hopefully only two. It's the goal. The goal is to have just two. <laughs> Maybe you should write that down. The goal is to have just two. 
For some of you, the way you're laughing, you're like, that's a revelation. I know I have more than that. Okay, well, the goal is to not have more than that. So you're, so follow me. I'm, I'm telling you practically actually how it works. So you have the Holy Spirit in you, and, and you have your spirit. Your spirit has a relationship with the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit has a relationship with the Godhead. Obviously, he's one-third of the Godhead. The Bible we just read, the Holy Spirit has full access to what God, the Godhead, is thinking. And therefore, you have full access to what the Godhead is thinking. Are you with me? So when I tap in to spiritual intelligence, I'm not tapping into something that's resident in me. It's only resident in me because my spirit is resident in me, and it has a relationship to the Holy Spirit who's resident in me. But it's, the actual intelligence is not in, it's not in my biological brain, and it's actually not in my spirit. It's actually in the Holy Spirit. Any more than, any more than the whole internet is, is on my phone. It's not on my phone. What I have is a link to the internet. So I have a link to the Holy Spirit that unbelievers don't have. Are you with me? And I am connected to the scientists of scientists. The technician of technicians. The psychologist of psychologists. Like the man who knows everything about everything from the macro to the micro level. And I have, get this, full access to him. Full access through Holy Spirit. Are you with me? And let me tell you one more thing. Because I have Holy Spirit in me, and you have Holy Spirit in you. And you have Holy Spirit in you, and you, and you, and you. The Holy Spirit acts like a big network so that I can airdrop things that are in me, in my spirit, to you because you have the same Holy Spirit. You don't have the same human spirit. You have a human spirit. I have a human spirit separate, right? But because you have Holy Spirit and I have Holy Spirit and there's only one Holy Spirit, I can actually impart gifts that I have, maybe even gifts I worked for that you didn't, right? Paul, Romans 1, I think you read it. I long to come to you that I might impart a spiritual gift to you. Paul to Timothy, Timothy, remember the gifts that were given to you through the laying on of hands of the presbytery? Take pains with these things. What happened to Tim? He received through airdrop gifts that other people had. That they went from his spirit, because he had, Tim, Tim, Tim had Holy Spirit in him, and the Holy Spirit took a gift that I had from me, let's say, is in resident me, it's in my human spirit. I gave it to Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit Wi-Fi'd it (laughs) to his spirit because he has the same Holy Spirit in him. Wi-Fi'd it to his spirit and downloaded it. Now, I know that sounds kind of funny, but it's it's actually the best illustration of what the Bible actually teaches. And then you have to accept it. Right? You ever had something airdrop? It goes, you want to accept this? And you're like, oh, that's the guy next to me. No. I don't want to accept that. And it's the reason why you can have it, you know, this is a little, this maybe analogy is getting too far, but I can have it on automatic. Right? So I can like, I can automatically be downloading stuff that you send to me without me having to physically go, I receive that because I trust you. So it's the reason why you can be in a room this size and 30% of the people walk out with amazing, 30, another 30% walk out with 
great message, and another 30, 40% walk out with, have no idea what he's talking about. <laughs> because it was there, but they didn't download it. Wow. They didn't pick it up. If you receive a prophet in the name of a prophet, then you receive the prophet's reward. The prophet's reward is not money. It's the grace to do what the prophet does. Are you with me? That's a good word, actually. Yeah. <laughs> I'm right about that one, too. I just want to tell you that. Um, I'm going to uh, give you one more illustration and then give you a, a story, and then we'll end. The question becomes, why don't we have more SQ? Like, why don't we? And I'd propose it's because we solve problems at the lower levels. Uh, what I'm getting at is, we, do, have you, you've probably, all of us probably said this, well, Guess all we can do now is pray about it. In other words, we tried everything else, so now maybe we should try some SQ. Because we tried everything else. And I'm like, what happened to be led by the Spirit? See, what I think is we typically get led by the Spirit when we're in crisis and then wonder why we're always in crisis. Think about this. There's a great story in uh, it's first King, Second Kings chapter four. It's a story about a widow. You remember she's the widow of a prophet, and Elijah, uh, Elisha, sorry, Elisha meets her and says, "How are you doing?" She says, "I'm doing terrible. My husband has died, and he left us with all this debt. And this is, you know, debtor's prison days. And and they and she says they're taking away my two sons to pay the debt. And he says, "What do you have?" And she says. All I have is a little bit of oil in a jar. Remember the story? And he tells her, what? Go get some jars. Go get some vessels. And not a few. Get, go, send your sons out. Get as many vessels as you can. They come back with, evidently, a lot of vessels. He takes the oil, and he pours it into the vessels. All the vessels. You can imagine there's probably something like a garbage can, something like jars, something like bottles. I mean, he said, get whatever you can that holds oil, right? So I'm imagining that there was big things, little things. And when all the vessels were full, the oil stopped. And then he said, go sell the oil, pay off your debt, and the rest live on. Okay, think about this. If he would have said, how much is your debt? And she said, 50 grand. And he had the money, and he writes her a check for 50 grand. How many understand he's not going to experience an SQ answer? Because he answered it in an IQ level. The challenge is, is that we have no, here we go, neural pathways. Remember, be renewed in the spirit of your mind. We have no neural pathways to SQ because we only use it in an emergency. Follow me for a minute. What if we started to do the simple things in SQ? For example, ladies, you're going to go shopping. So, you, I mean, guys do too, but I just like, I like getting the ladies excited. <laughs> Stimulate them with hope. And you're not going to take your children, okay? Imagine that with me. No children shopping and for a whole day, and your husband's giving you $5,000. Okay, there. dream. Dream with me for a minute. And you usually go to, I don't, I don't know where you go. I don't even know what the stores around here are called. But let's say you always go to Shopco. So you're like, I'm going to go to Shopco for that. Or Costco or whatever co. It doesn't matter. You're ruining it by laughing now. There is inappropriate times to laugh. 
So, you know, you, you're going to get your car and you're going to go to the store you always go to. But instead you think, you know what, I'm going to develop my SQ here. And you kneel by your bed before you leave for five minutes and you say, Holy Spirit, I'm going to go shopping. Now, you can do this by yourself, right? You, you don't need, like you have the intelligence to go shopping. I'm pointing out, you could do this without the Lord's help, which is the problem. But you kneel by your bed and you say, Holy Spirit, I'm going to go shopping. Where do you want me to go? And he goes, go to XYZ store. You're like, I've never been to XYZ store. Or I wouldn't have gone there. I wouldn't have thought about going there. Now, you get in your car and you go to XYZ store only because you had an impression. You didn't see angels fly over your head. There was no voice from heaven. There was no, you didn't open your Bible and it goes, XYZ store, it shall be. There was none of that. You just had an impression, like a simple impression. You know, I'm not, I don't feel like I'm supposed to go to Costco. I feel like I'm going. And so, but here's what happens, right? Now you're, coming, you're being aware. Because this is not the store you would have chose. And listen, if nobody shows, if nothing happens, you still know, out of obedience, I did what I felt by faith, what he told me to do. But what's happening when I'm in XYZ store? I am spiritually aware. Because I'm like, what am I doing here? And all of a sudden, I see my friend I haven't seen for 20 years. And I'm like, I'm paying more for groceries, but the Lord didn't send me here to get a good deal. He sent me here to reconnect with my friend. And I see my friend, and I'm like, if I didn't kneel by my bed, I would have never met that guy. And we make a connection, and I lead him to the Lord, and the rest is history. And all I did was ask the Lord where I should shop. Maybe I go to the store, and they have a half off of everything. And it has nothing to do with the connection. It has everything to do with the Lord prospering me financially. And all the things I want that day, they're on sale. And I'm like, the Holy Spirit cares where I shop. And he just stretched my money. And what I'm getting at, and trying to do it in a really simple but silly way, is to say, if I would take a minute, not when I have to, because I always do it when I have to, but if I will take a minute, to just stop in my day. And it doesn't have to necessarily be in the morning. You might get going and you got 10 things and the kids are screaming. And you're like, oh, I forgot about SQ. It doesn't matter. You're in a car. You, you pull over for a minute. I'm talking about 30 seconds, a minute, two minutes. Like the, the Lord doesn't live in time. You live in time. He doesn't need a lot of time. But what he does need is your attention, your full attention, my full attention. And we stop and we go, Holy Spirit, what do you, is there something you want me to do today? I'm on my way to work. I, I just, I want to give you this two minutes. I, I'm so sorry I didn't start this way. I don't have to feel guilt or shame because I haven't started this way for 50 years. So the fact that I stopped for two minutes shows a lot of maturity. Right? And I stop for two minutes. And I pull over on the side of the road for a minute. And I just bow my head and say, Holy Spirit, this day is yours. If there's anything you want to tell me right now or during the day, I will be looking for you. I will be searching for you throughout the day. If there's anything you want to tell me, please feel free to interrupt me. Even beep your horn and let me know, hey, it's over there. Hey, stop for a minute. I'm about to do something new for you. If you do that, it's amazing what's going to happen in your life and in mine. Because now your crisis goes way down. And what would have been a crisis, you go, I, I know what to do about that. Holy Spirit, yesterday you helped me shopping. We got a crisis today. And I am naturally not afraid because I know 
I don't know how we're going to get through this. I have no idea what to do. But I have full access to the guy who knows everything. I'll finish with a story. So, so many years ago, when we were in the auto parts business, we, had, uh, we, sto- we opened our auto parts store on a shoestring and didn't have much money. And we had um, an automotive, uh, we had a um, POS system, a uh, point of sale system, computer system that was generic. Um, and what I mean by that is that it wasn't designed for auto parts. And I have to tell you something boring, it'll just take a minute. But all, almost every product on the market that you buy and sell has three price levels. It basically has warehouse, jobber, and retail. But auto parts have five price levels. And this, for the store, you need to know this. They have five price levels because not only do we have retail customers, but we have shops that, that buy and resell our product. So they get a discount. And then we have shops that also stock our auto parts, which means we don't have to run them down there and deliver them, which, so they get another percentage off. So if, they buy, if, they, if, a, if a shop buys from us, they get a wholesale discount. And if they stock the parts they buy from us, let's say brake pads, they get another percentage off, right? Okay, so when we started our business, uh, most of our business was you know, retail, walk-in customer. But over by, by within six months, about 80% of our business was shops. And the only way to give a, a shop a discount on our computer system was to override the price. Well, you can imagine, like if you do a brake job, there might be 40 parts on that receipt. And the guys would have to go in override each part. First of all, it takes a long time, but also you have to remember to do it. And then the guys would forget to do it. I'd forget to. We'd all forget to do it. And the customer would come back and like, hey, you got a bait and switch here, bro. Hey, you advertised one thing to us. You promised us this price. And that started going on, right? As we got busier and busier and shops got more and more came to us. Well, we, so, you know, we started like, oh man, what are we going to do? We checked into the software we needed, it was $30,000. And there's just no way we had that kind of money. So anyway, what, made, what prompted us to actually take action is our largest customer came in. He spent thousands every month with us. We were a very new business, you know, one year old. And he comes in with a stack six inches tall of receipts, throws them on the desk and has some Egyptian language with us and tells us, you are ripping me off. And he spent the evening, the night, all night, going through all his receipts and had a stack of all these receipts of things that he got over, overcharged for. We tried to explain to him, hey, there's a system, I'm really sorry. And, you know, and even Kathy was going in at night and going through all the receipts. Even she would miss some stuff. It was just a nightmare. Well, after, and he said, well, I'm never going to shop with you anymore. I'm not buying my stuff here. I'm buying it from the other two auto parts stores. And I'm going to tell all the other shops what you're doing. Well, now we're in trouble. And it's wintertime. So I'm like, what are we going to do? So I called the software company, that were the, the system we had. And, it, and they, they were very kind. He says, hey, I'll put you in, in touch with the, the coder, the guy who actually wrote the software program. So I talked to him, very nice man. He said, Mr. Ballatin, this program was designed for three price levels. I don't know what I can do, but I'll get back to you. And he literally called me back a week later, the next Monday. And he said, hey, I spent a whole week on this. I'm really sorry, da, da, da. But it only has three price levels. That's all we have. Super dis- discouraged. I call my friend Kurt, who's like a genius on tech stuff, and he goes, I got a friend who can fix that. He came in three nights after the parts store was closed in the evening and tried to re- reprogram the computer. At the end of the day, at the end of the third day, he comes in the next morning and said, This program can't change. This is the way it was. 
I'm like, what are we going to do, you know? And we were getting complaints. It was just craziness, and I was super discouraged. So I go to bed that night, always keep a journal by my bed, and I just ask the Lord, Lord, uh, no, this is a crisis, right? Now I'm going to get, get help. I tried everything else. So I'll you know, come, come to you now. <laughs> Which, thankfully, the Lord is gracious, right? Yeah. I'm like, Lord, I need help. I don't know what to do. I have no money. What should I do? I go to sleep that night, and I have a dream. And in the dream, I see four lines, which I now know to be code. I wake up, and they're, it's not, I don't see them with my, mind, with my eyes, but they're burned in my mind as if I had an open vision. I get my journal out, and I write down these you know, letters, numbers, backslash, you know, this whole thing, right? Not even understanding that if you get the backslash wrong, you're screwed, right? You're, I don't know what the right word is, sorry. So it's 3 o'clock in the morning, and I don't even know how to turn the computer on because it's a DOS system. You have to type this stuff into the computer. Only two people to turn the computer on is my manager and Kathy. 3 o'clock in the morning, three feet of snow on the ground. I wake her up. I'm like, hey, baby, what are you doing? <laughs> what do you want? I, I think I solved the computer problem. You know, at the time, she wasn't a believer. Well, she believed in Jesus, but not in me, I mean. Anyway, I finally convince her to get out of bed. We get to the auto parts store at 4 o'clock in the morning. It's wintertime. It's freezing. She's not happy. We get the lights on. She gets the computer up. She's like, give me the first line. Well, I don't know how to say. So I'm reading like, you know, A slash D, and it's got the line goes this way. She says, just give it to me. So she puts the first line in, and the computer goes down and comes back up. And she goes, I think we're in the back of the program. Is that good? Give me the rest. Puts it all in. We make a dummy customer. Set it up. Five price levels. Stop it. Oh, yeah. That's why I own a tech company now. Because of my genius. Five price levels. The, the guy who wrote the program didn't know how to fix it, but Holy Spirit knew how to fix it. We used that program for five more years. Holy Spirit knew how to fix a program that the guy who coded the program couldn't fix. Does that make you crazy? Now, how many understand, just for illustration, we're almost done, that when we were, when, after that, I still knew nothing about computers? Because the information wasn't in, it, he didn't give it to my brain. He gave it to my spirit, who relayed it to my brain. It was still resident only in Holy Spirit. It's still on the internet. It's still in the cloud. It wasn't resident on my hard drive. It didn't make me any more intelligent. It just made the connection better. I want to pray for you because the reason I'm sharing this message is I feel like the smartest, wisest, most brilliant, greatest innovators, greatest artists, greatest writers, greatest storytellers, greatest musicians, greatest movie makers, greatest scientists, and I could go on, are to come out of this generation of believers. And I believe the greatest evangelistic tool the world has ever known is going to come out of wisdom from another age. Because the Lord said that you're going to teach 
the wisdom of God, the manifold wisdom of God, which means multicolored, think Joseph's coat, the manifold wisdom of God to rulers and authorities. And I believe that God wants the church to make Elon Musk look like he's in kindergarten. To draw the world like Daniel did with Nebuchadnezzar, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, when it says in Daniel 1, and the king found them to be 10 times wiser than all the really smart people, all the MIT graduates, all the Stanford graduates, all the name your famous university. He was 10 times wiser than all the people who graduated from there. And guess what it did? It gave him favor with the king. And I believe kings are going to come to the brightness of our rising, not just because we're good looking, although I understand how that could be attractive. <laughs> but because we have the wisdom that they need to solve hard problems. Would you stand, please? I, I, there is actually a Holy Spirit gift of wisdom. And uh, I, I, like, I love the gift of prophecy. I love the word of knowledge. But I, I, I've just been feeling like the gift of wisdom is probably the gift that we need more than any other. I mean, you know, common sense ain't even common anymore. And I, I want to pray for us that the Holy Spirit would impart to us the gift of wisdom. And then that we would build the mind of Christ so that we would think God thoughts, not just like God, which is beautiful, but that we would tap in to spiritual intelligence and it would become a way that we think. And by the way, I didn't finish that message, but you get the idea that if you build SQ, you have neural pathways now to SQ. So that it becomes easier to think by the spirit than it does by the natural man. It's, you're, you're fast on the Safari button. You're like, oh, we can just Google this. Hey, hey Siri. <laughs> my, my phone's going to probably answer. <laughs> hey, Siri, what's the price of oil in China? You know, I, I have instant. It tells me right away. This is what I found. How about if you just had a relationship with God where the mysteries and the secrets were released to you because you were friends of God and because you seek him first? So just put your hands out like you're receiving. And by the way, I just want to be clear. Like, I struggle with the same thing you all struggle with. But I'm, in a, I'm on a journey that I want you to go on with me. Like, those incidents that I have, I wish I could say, this is my everyday incident. Here's, here's the last five things that happened today. And, and, like, that's not my story. I have some really cool things that have happened I usually have something every week that happens. I don't have a daily story. I think we're supposed to have daily stories of Holy Spirit. As simple as I got a deal on that thing because I listened to the Holy Spirit, to I found a friend, to I've, in other words, it won't be a big thing to other people when I have a personal relationship with a personal God. It may totally impact me and mean nothing to someone else. But I know that I was led by the Spirit, and I would have not got that good deal. I would have not met that friend. I would have not had that thing happen if I hadn't taken the minute and said, Holy Spirit, this is your day. So, Holy Spirit, right now, first of all, I just want to release the word of knowledge and the word of wisdom over us. 
And I pray right now that, Holy Spirit, that you impart, that you would airdrop these two gifts to all of my friends here. And Holy Spirit, I pray that you would disciple us, that you are spirit guide, and that you would lead us into all truth. In Jesus' name. And everybody said, I receive that for myself. And for my children. And for my children's children. Amen. Thank you so much for listening. God bless you. We hope you enjoyed the message. You can also follow us on Instagram at LifeCenterNYC or YouTube at LifeCenterChurchNYC.